0: Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast, exploring alternative investment opportunities available to the everyday investor. Here's your host, Ben Lakoff. Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Today's interview is with Dr. Mark Faber, Dr. Doom and Gloom himself. Dr. Faber is a legend in the space. He was up late for this one. The time change between L.A. and Chiang Mai is not that hospitable. I think it was 2 a.m. his time. So in this episode, we bounce around a bit. But the key is that we're in pretty unprecedented times and that central bankers in the currently monetary regime have backed us into a pretty curious situation. Keep in mind that they do call him Dr. Doom. And when looking at these sorts of things, it can get a bit dire, but that's okay. The key is that we may be transitioning into a time period where returns that were easily generated may no longer be the case. And there could be an extended environment of financial assets losing value that we are entering into. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to take a second to thank you for all the great questions and feedback, comments, likes, and reviews. I really, really appreciate it, and you guys rock. All right, enjoy this discussion with
1: Dr. Mark Faber.
0: Dr. Faber, welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Excited to see you again, sir.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me on
0: your program. Yeah, it's been a long time. So the last time we recorded was December, 2020. That was episode 28 and it was a very, very long time ago. For my listeners that aren't aware who you are, you famously predicted the 1987 Black Monday stock market collapse, as well as the Japanese bubble in 1990. You are one of the greatest economists and contrarian investors in the world. And you're the publisher of the Gloom, Boom and Doom Report. And you reside in my old home, well, in Thailand, but in Chiang Mai. I'm very excited to have you on. The episode last time was very much well-received. Always appreciate your insight and looking forward to having this conversation. Well, thank you. And it's very late your time. Kudos to you to staying up very late. It's not a problem. So um, right now, this is being recorded August, 2022. And we keep hearing that this is unprecedented times. You are a fan of studying history. And you've been investing for a very long time now. I'd like to just start by saying, like, how bad is this right now compared to previous cycles? And and start by asking, like, what periods of history can you draw parallels to to help understand what's happening right now?
1: Well, it's difficult to really compare the present time to the past because, you know, let's say, Until a hundred years ago or so, we didn't have central banks and now we have central banks that intervene or to put it more precisely, they manipulate markets. They manipulate one of the most important costs of input in an economy, which is the rate of interest that you pay if you borrow money. And with that ability and the ability to print money, they can kind of change the business cycle somewhat. They cannot create eternal prosperity. That should be clear to anyone, but the academics, they kind of think they can do that. But the reality is you can't produce with money printing eternal prosperity. Otherwise, nobody would work. Nobody would produce anything and everybody would sit on the beach and with a printing machine and print money and so forth and distribute the money to the citizens and hope that all goes well. So this is unprecedented in modern times. In history, let's say, of the last 5,000 years, we have central banks that print money and that are run by people who never worked in their lives, in the private sector, they are not businessmen, they're academics and we have to distinguish in a society between the workers that do things, the entrepreneurs that create businesses and take risks and assume responsibilities. And then you have the academic circles that sit in universities and write all kinds of papers that are academic papers, but they actually These people have never had a position of true responsibility, you understand? So if we have these professors telling the world what to do and how to run businesses, then obviously the results aren't going to be very good because the world, if we look at the last 5,000 years, became rich from inventors, innovators, and businessmen, and especially in the last 100, 150 years, as a result of the capitalistic system that adopted free market economies. In other words, we have free markets, we have competition. When people are in competition, they do things and they try to do things better for their customers, and that is an unusual feature of the last 150 years. But because capitalism has been so successful, Now it seems that in the Western world, people want to have more socialism. (laughs) In other words, what failed in the Soviet Union, and as you know, the Soviet Union fell apart in 1989 and the Berlin Wall fell, and everybody uh, uh, agreed on one topic the capitalistic system has won, and the command economy, what is essentially governed by government officials and bureaucrats and academics, has been a failure. But because we won this battle with the command economy, with communism and socialism and their ideologies, now suddenly people think we need more socialism. And we have in the Western world, I mean in some countries extreme, this social thinking that will destroy Our prosperity. There's no question about this. And the politicians are bribed because they have to say things that the majority wants to listen to. And the majority always wants the government to pay them more. In other words, the bakers they want subsidies for the baking profession, bakers' profession, and the construction workers want subsidies and benefits for the construction workers. And the professors at universities want benefit from the professors and so forth and so on. So uh, everybody wants more and more from the government, and the government becomes bigger and bigger. But the government doesn't create any wealth. The government is like a cancer. It retards economic growth. And any viewer of yours who has an own business, Sooner or later, he will run into some kind of a government official that tells him, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. And if you open up a restaurant, we have to come and check this. Another police department comes and says, we have to check that. Another bureaucrat will say, well, we have to check check the ceiling and then, then. And at the end, it increases the cost endlessly. And it makes it very difficult for small businesses to exist because, you know, if you're Starbucks or McDonald's, you have a team of people that know how to open a new stall, a new restaurant. There are the lawyers there, and the architects and the engineers. They know how to talk to the government officials. They know who to call, and who to pay off under the table and so forth. The small businessman he doesn't have that he doesn't have that the means to have all this team, and so it essentially destroys small businesses. And COVID was a wonderful example how big businesses did well, and the small business owner was bankrupted. And yeah. many, not a few, many were bankrupted. And this is the sad part. Because the government officials, they get their salary. They couldn't care less whether the individual can continue to run his business or not. They get the salary anyway. But the world sits there and does nothing. Nobody rebels against these government officials. That surprises me. In fact, the rich people actually support these measures because they are the shareholders of the big corporations that actually benefit from the closure of small businesses.
0: I mean what it what it starts to sound like that the, the true free market and real competition and and weeding out of these losers is actually broken. So even though capitalism won in the 1989 is it completely broken now and if so, where well, uh, do we go from here? are trying
1: very hard to break it. You have, it's an episode against <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> yes. Because capitalism relies, a free market relies on property rights. And if you have a property, either you are entitled to defend your property, then you should be able to use your guns and shoot anyone who is undesirable. But society is such that if you shoot someone, they will take you to court. They will not say, well, he has the right, it's his, it's his property. Right. Only the government has the right to shoot you. And someone breaks in, the break-in for sure, the, the thief or whatever it is, will be shot.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that in very short order, right? You've been very, very consistent since the great financial crisis that this money printing, you know, MMT, this academics saying, you just keep printing forever. It's really breaking the back of capitalism. But at some point, these government debts have to be repaid or taken care of in some way. I'm curious, like, how, how does, what are the different routes here to kind of solve where we are? Today, uh, or is there, we're kind of at the point of no turning back.
1: I think we are already at the point where you can't turn back. I think maybe you can kind of reduce the damage, but the damage is here. And I want to explain to you something very carefully that your viewers have to take notice of. If you have two countries, Say one country A. In country A, we have citizens. They belong to the country. They've built businesses and they pay out salaries and they have an administration and so forth. And everybody understands we have to pay something for the police force. We need to pay something for the clean water. We need to pay something for defense and so forth and so on. So everybody understands we have to pay tax, okay? So everybody pays tax and the budget is balanced. Now, in country B, you have one of these lunatics of the MMT people. Modern monetary theory, which is not modern at all, because throughout the ages they printed money. But you have one of these lunatics in charge or one of these Fed officials in the US who prints money. You have these people in charge, then in theory, you could have a system where nobody pays any tax. The treasury spends money and the Federal Reserve, the central bank then the money, hands over the money to the Treasury to pay out the checks to everyone, to the firemen, to the workers, to the, the Social Security recipients, and so forth, and so on. Okay, So nobody pays any tax. So are you going to tell me or any of your viewers that in country B nobody pays any taxes Inflation is a universal tax. It's an unfair tax because it touches different people very differently. It hurts the poor people the most, the lower income recipients. It hurts the highest, the people in the wealth pyramids at the highest, the least. But eventually it hurts everybody because the currency goes down. And because inflation accelerates and interest rates will go up and it will then cause some damage to the value of assets. Okay? But believe me, a country that doesn't pay physically tax and just pays it through this inflation process I described, they also pay a tax and it's a very high tax they pay. Eventually.
0: Well, you just keep kicking that can further and further down the road. Eventually somebody has got to deal with it. uh, Right?
1: Eventually it will become more and more expensive. (laughs) Usually it results in a complete breakdown of society. But if Americans want that. And if there are wealthy people in America and some interest groups and the NGOs like
0: well, the, the U.S. has turned into a uh, pretty much anything you say will get you canceled sort of thing. So I think that's that's probably a bit of it. It sounds like in your latest post that you pu- published uh, yesterday or today, which I'll link in the show notes, inflation is hot. It seems out of control. It's a lot of the discussions in the moment. It, it sounds like what you're saying is this is like, this is not obviously a transitory thing, but this is a long-term per- pervasive <laughs> issue due to all of the things we've been doing over the past 40, 50 years. I'd be curious just to kind of like sum up your thoughts on inflation, where it's going from here, continued up and to the right, batten down the hatches, kind of riff on inflation a bit.
1: In my recent report, I pointed out the inflationary cycles of the 70s. So we had accelerating inflation. Uh, in the 60s, until the end of the 60s, and then inflation peaked out in 1970. And then it came off until 72. But then it went up strongly until 74. And after 74, the rate of inflation between 74 and 76 was cut in half. Also, short-term interest rates were cut in half. So 50% reduction. And everybody thought the inflation is over. And then it started again between 76 and 1980. Inflation went up strongly. And all I want to say is, personally, we have now two opposing forces in the economy. We have an inflationary force, okay? But at the same time, unlike all these government officials in the U.S., who have turned vogue and can't utter the word recession. I think the global economy is in recession, period. The problem is CNBC and Bloomberg and Fox, they never introduce, never interview people from the street, ordinary folks who can't ex- express themselves. They interview the academics and the politicians. We, and Most of them are a bunch of liars, period. Because they are paid off by government offices. Most economists that you will see on TV, directly or indirectly, they're paid off by, say, the Federal Reserve. As they give them money as consultants, or they give them consulting fees from the TV to say nice things about the economy the politicians anyway, but the reality is you go and ask people, honorary people, at least 50, 60%, they will tell you this year they have less money than a year or two years ago. You ask young people, there are statistics. The Fed has these statistics. The 35-year-old today, people who turn today 35 years old, they earn less than their parents when they turned 35, inflation adjusted. They have less money in the bank, especially the Generation Z, who lost all its money in momentum stocks and meme stocks and SPACs and cryptos and so forth. Do you think the stock market was invented to make poor people rich? The stock market, the cryptocurrency market, all these markets is a mechanism how to enrich a view inside of the wealthy people at the expense of ordinary folks on the street. Yeah, well, that paints a pretty, pretty dire
0: picture for tomorrow's youth thinking, you know, it's time to save, invest in the stock market. I mean, th- this well, is.
1: Um, no, I'm not, it's not dire if you accept the reality that wealth creation doesn't come from going to a casino and doesn't come from buying lottery tickets. I mean, I was yesterday in a nightclub and the nightclub hostesses, they told me, oh, they bought lottery tickets for the next lottery because it's a very big lottery and this and that. They asked me, would I ever bought a lottery ticket? I say, no, never bought a lottery ticket in my life because I'm in the lottery business myself in the stock market. But of course, someone will win the lottery. And just recently, someone won for the second time the lottery in the same location, I think in Michigan. So he can write a book and say how to become rich with buying lottery tickets. But you and anyone with any brain should know that you can't, that not everybody can become rich by buying lottery tickets. There's one among maybe a hundred million that becomes rich by buying lottery tickets. it, wealth creation comes from hard work. I was just reading again tonight before we had the interview about Plato, about his philosophy. And you want to achieve something, you have to work very hard. And not I don't consider day trading to be a very hard work, you understand?
0: I mean, I always
1: say the damage caused by money printing has been that many people were led into temptation to believe that you can become rich by trading whatever, whether it's crypto or stocks or bonds or currencies. And that isn't the case. It's the case for very few people. And there, there will always
0: be those few survivorship that preach very loudly how easy it is for the rest of them, to, the the sheep to. Yeah, they swallow. write
1: books. They have newsletters. All this nonsense, and but if you analyze carefully, how there are so many technical analysts, they they say the stock will go this and that way, the bonds will go up and down and so I always tell to all my friends and clients. Please show me one technician who became rich, just one.
0: Well, who became became rich from trading, not from selling their course. From their
1: own trading. (laughs) Right. They became rich because they were working for Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, or they had their own business and they were very good at marketing their services. Yeah,
0: they're very good at selling their service on on how to get rich. Yeah. So I I mean this is this is a investing podcast. Now sell my it,
1: service to yeah, you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, hey, you don't need to at all. I mean yeah. decades of track record says that you probably know what you're talking about. But that's why this is an investing podcast thinking a much longer term alternative investments, things outside of the traditional world. But I mean, when talking about this, the the first thing that comes to mind, let's just jump into one of these asset classes. It sounds like the perfect storm for gold. Inflation distrust in the government is kind of growing (laughs) as these young investors get burnt in this casino. I, presumably you're still bullish on precious metals. Like where, where do you kind of see these fitting into the asset allocation over the next decade or so?
1: Yes, but I have to, qualify this statement of being bullish. I believe we we move through different cycles. I believe for the investing public, for investors, we had a very favorable cycle starting in 1981, 82, when bond prices, or bottomed out or interest rates peaked out. The deposit rate was over 18% in the U.S. and uh, we went to essentially zero recently. And the bond yields were over 15% in 1981. The stock market in 1982, in August, was below 800 on the Dow Jones, which was no higher than in 1964. Okay. So we had like 18 years of no upward movement in stocks. But because of inflation stocks, inflation adjusted had lost 70% of the value. And after 81-82, we've been in a bull market essentially until recently. In the stock market, we can say the more speculative stocks they peaked out in January, February, 2021, these were the meme stocks, the SPACs, and so forth, the stocks that were promoted by the big promoters on the Reddit. The Reddit crowd peak was January, February 2021. And the broad market, which is driven by stocks like Amazon, Facebook, and Apple, and Microsoft, and so forth, so-called FANG stocks, Peaked out in November, and the final peak was actually in January 4 of this year. Since then, everything has been going down a lot. And by a lot, a lot of stocks are down 70, 80%. I mean, I can give you an entire list of such stocks. And I think that we are now in an environment which is difficult for asset prices because, yes, we can print money. Or we can reduce the tightening. But with an inflation of around nine percent per annum around the world, eight, nine percent, and interest rates at two percent, you know, it's gonna be difficult to bring the inflation down permanently. So I believe that we may have rallies here and so forth, but in real terms, like in the 60s. I think the markets have kind of peaked out, and to really make money on on large money will be difficult. I think gold may go up, yes, but if you have inflation and gold goes up, then uh, you know maybe the currency also goes down and rates go up, and then home prices go down and so forth. That on your 100% of your assets that you'll make a lot of money in the next 10 years is not likely. And I, I think we have to learn how to be modest.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, in real terms, it'll get harder and harder to make this these easy returns. <laughs> and things like tax optimization and like the the, the the smaller optimizations will become more and more important.
1: But the I- most important in life not to pay a penny to government officials. don't pay any tax at all. That is the most important in life because most of it is wasted.
0: well, as an American, you know there's two countries in the entire world that tax based on nationality it's the u s and eritrea, so i'm a, <laughs> I'm the former, so <laughs> Unfortunately, getting out of paying too many taxes is a little difficult for our nationality. That's 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 for sure. When thinking a tax tax optimization aside, in terms of like broad asset allocations, or I mean, ultimately, it's like positioning yourself to lose the least money or lose less money than the other asset allocation. What advice do you have? Like broadly speaking, for investors in terms of thinking about how to position their portfolios accordingly when kind of thinking this is the the backdrop, the macro backdrop in which we're dealing with.
1: But, but you, you understand, this is a very difficult question because it's like you going to a doctor and say, well, what do you think would be the best for me to stay healthy? And, you know, I, and what kind of bills should I take? And what kind of medicine and so forth? I mean, you have to analyze each person's uh, financial condition. Now, if you're a young guy uh, in your twenties or thirties, and you have a salary and you're doing business, you have to decide where do you ca- where can you live and where do you want to live? Because some professions, if you're a writer of software. You could be on a farm in a small village in Spain, Italy, Germany, and so forth, in the U.S., in a small city, rural environment where real estate is not expensive. But if you have to go to an office of a bank or investment bank every day on Wall Street, then it's difficult to live you know, re- remotely in the countryside. Maybe you can make a deal with the company and say, i go to the office three times a week and two days or three days out of a week i work, work from home then you can travel to the office say for one and a half hours three times a week but anyway in general i think real estate is expensive but in many in europe in many small villages they give you the real estate because the villages are falling apart but you have to have some talent to live there in the sense that you need some manual skills to fix the house. Because if you don't know anything, it will be very expensive to hire the workers. And again, the bureaucrats will come and say, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. Oh, this house is under protection for, you know, like antiquity or whatever it is. And so forth and so forth. So you need to know the local regulations and, and so forth. But this is what I would do if I were a young guy. I would go buy something in the countryside. Now, I live in Asia, so I'm not going to go and buy something in Italy. Because once I leave Italy for three months, and I come back, everything has been stolen. Because we have so many migrants. They come, they have nothing, they go and take empty whole houses. <laughs> yes,
0: I'm a big fan of ge- geographic arbitrage, like we talked about last time. I lived in Thailand for four years; huge fan and kind of flag theory in general. But like when thinking, so this U.S. worker potentially working remotely from a village somewhere, saving a lot more. I mean, <laughs> there's there's a lot going on <laughs> from a from a global perspective right now like how how should these people be thinking about different countries with different land ownership rights or property ownership rights and and things like this because i mean the u.s isn't great but there's a lot of other like bigger governments that are that are even worse you know so it's kind of jumping from one boiling pot of water to another in some cases
1: yes unfortunately you're right unfortunately
0: yeah i'd be curious how to how to think through that because it's also with i mean the U S dollar and all the monetary policy that's happening here. Well, okay. So you, you put your money in euros, like what, it always feels like jumping from one pot to a, a boiling water to another.
1: Yes. That is in an environment such as I tried to describe where for the next 10 years, the returns will be essentially disappointing. The question is how do we lose the least? And just like to remind you of yours. Let's assume we are in a bull market and the stock market over three years goes up by 50%, and you and I, we're only up, say, 15%. Then we are relatively poor compared to the stock market that went up 50%. Okay? If we are in an environment, Where all these geniuses that never studied and never worked had huge gains in 2019, 2020, meme stocks, and then they lose 80% of their money or everything, and you only are down, say, 3, 4, 5%, then you're a genius compared to them. You, You understand? It's all relative. But as I tried to explain earlier on, I think, and this has always throughout history been the case, markets are to some extent rigged. And it's not rigged in favor of the small investor. We have, they're not used nowadays as much as they used to be used before. But we had in the 70s indicators that showed. When the public participation is high in the market, the top of the market is very close. And when the public participation is zero, when the retail investor has been wiped out, like in 1932 after the depression, or in the home, buyer, in home buying, after the two thousand and eight crisis, the small home buyers, the small speculators were wiped out. And the big boys, they came in and bought the properties from these poor people that the properties were foreclosed upon. But this is the way the market works. It's not a mechanism to make poor people rich. Mechanism to make rich people richer. And I mean, I was fortunate in my life, and so I'm not as a as an asset holder, I'm not necessarily complaining about it. i have done well because I had assets that was diversified into different things like stocks and properties, and 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 that, and I have a business that generates a cash flow. But I'm just trying to explain that the small investor who starts with $10,000, his chances to make, you know, 10 million, 100 million, a billion is one out of of billions. You know, it's very small. (laughs) Believe me, it's very small. His best chance is actually to work hard and have a job that generates a relatively high income. But even there, I'm pessimistic because when I started to work, I want to describe the situation very carefully that you understand how unfair the system has become because of money printing, because of the tax I described that inflation is. When I started to work, my salary was over 4,000 Swiss franc. And I had... An apartment, two bedrooms, with a large bathroom, with a large kitchen, with an attic and a cellar, right in the center behind the city theater. I mean, uh, from there, you can walk to work anywhere in the city within, say, 10 minutes. And I paid less than 5% of my salary for that apartment. Sorry, about 7% of the salary. Show me anyone in New York City who works on Wall Street or so, unless he's at that very high salary level. Yeah, exactly. pays for his apartment less than 30 or 40% of his salary. Yeah,
0: the, it's non-existent, non-existent.
1: It's very and this is this is what I tried to explain early on. The Fed now has consumer price inflation. Okay, so the housewife's pitch. But for years we had asset price inflation. Asset price inflation is equally bad because it makes things unaffordable for most young people. Yeah. And by the way, This is a myth that we didn't have inflation for the last 20, 30 years. I mean, I always went to New York. I went to Tokyo. I said to the people in the TV stations who interviewed me and said, but inflation is so low. I said, tell me, honestly, do you think your cost of living is not going up every year? Insurance premiums, rent, transportation costs, I've never seen in the last 50 years, I work now more than 50 years, I started to work in 1970. I've never seen a country where the cost of living has gone down. Maybe sometimes for a year or two, prices didn't go up. In New York once, they had the airport taxi fare. It was fixed at $35 from Kennedy to anywhere in Manhattan. But it didn't last long. It just lasted for a year or two. And then the taxi driver, they wanted, you know, tip on the $35. So on with the tip is then also $50. And so forth. But everything has become more expensive.
0: I'd I'd be curious and kind of last question on this sorts of stuff, but uh, you, you talked about the small investor interest as kind of a contra indicator and we talked about unaffordability of rent and things like this. So something that hasn't quite caught up, everybody invests in real estate because it always goes up and like you can take out a mortgage and lock in the low rate of inflation. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on like US real estate in general. I know each pocket is very, very different, but like there there seems to be a lot of investor interest, which as you said, was like a good contra in indicator. So just general thoughts on US real estate market, because it seems like it's still at that meme stocks phase. But with inflation, it could make sense.
1: Yes, depends on, what price you buy it at. As I said, some properties in the countryside are not terribly expensive, but in some cities they are expensive. And then you have to analyze. So the people who are wealthy and who don't like to be living in a a banana republic or third world country, they move and they go to Florida and they leave their cities. And then these cities will have to increase taxation or the city deteriorates, as was the case in Detroit. I can show you pictures of streets in Detroit in the 20s. They were the luxury streets and today they're dilapidated. I mean, they're horrible because the city then moved to the suburbs and so forth. So we have to be careful. Number two. If you have wells, one point people have to realize, real estate is the most visible asset you can have. Every no, no matter how dumb government officials are, in other words, even if you have Kamala Harris in charge of appraising values in a city of real estate, she would be able to see House A, B, C, D, that she can count. You can be sure of that. She may not know the value and needs 50 advisors and 300 security staff to look after her while she appraises the value. But that she can probably do, but not much more. But if you have liquid assets, there are more ways to hide it, that it's not immediately obvious
0: that that's a very good point
1: dr father and believe me on real estate i've seen values you know go down because of taxation and rent control if we have socialists one of the things they usually do price controls rent controls
0: certainly feels like the direction we're headed. So, you know, model that into your assumptions when purchasing.
1: I'd say, you know, but that's why I say, if you buy in a small village somewhere and don't go as a rich man, go as a normal worker, not that you arrive there, your private plane and your Mercedes 300, whatever, (laughs) or Ferrari, you have to go and live like ordinary people, then they leave you in peace. Of course, if you go there and you arrive with your helicopter and your five girlfriends out of the Playboy magazine or something like this, and immediately the whole town talks about you, they're going to go after you and tax you and annoy you.
0: (laughs) Makes sense. Well, I'll be I'll be moving up into the north and Chiang Rai or Pai or something. <laughs> I'll be in your neck of the woods before too long.
1: You have different problems here.
0: Yeah, of course, of course, Doctor Faber. It's been awesome catching up with you as as always. Like, really, really appreciate your insights on these things. What do you want? What would be great is if you'd leave my listeners with some glimmer of hope, but also wherever they can find out more about you. And I'll be sure to link everything. But yeah,
1: well you see i may be pessimistic about asset prices for the next 10 years but i think if you are preserving your wealth and everybody loses 30 50 percent or more then you're doing okay number two if you can maintain a high degree of freedom you should be very happy because you know we have like When I read the statements of the World Economic Forum, it seems that they want to kind of enslave people. I've heard a book, The Servile State, that describes how you go back to servitude. So if you can stay free, it's already a lot. And number two, I think there are still lots of opportunities in the world for someone who is dedicated, hardworking, and disciplined, but someone who can also take orders. And if he has to work, I mean, I'm amazed. In Switzerland, we have the socialist party. They want to reduce working hours to 35 hours a week. I told them, because I had to debate them, I said, I don't know any entrepreneur in the whole world who has his own business and only works 35 hours a week. I still work. I don't have to, but it's, as a Christian, it is my duty as long as I can, as I long as I have the strength, that I do something. This is a Christian do- duty. Like I'm married and I have to do certain things for marriage. <laughs> I may not like it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, well, you understand? Know, this is life. You can't always say, oh, today I don't feel like working, so I take it easy. No, you have to have a sense of duty and discipline and do things. And this is what I would recommend to young people. Uh, you better get used to hard times. You know, I, I think. We haven't had really in the Western world hard times where people, like in the Depression years, people really were in trouble. And I can tell you in the Third World, lots of people had nothing to eat. Nothing. After the Second World War, already during the Second World War, there were so many refugees. They... How many people arrived in America in the 19th century, 20th century? They arrived at nothing. They lost everything. Then they had to start working and hustling and so forth. But nowadays it's difficult because the government says you can't do this, you can't do that, and you're not allowed to do this and so forth and so on. You want to work hard, the government will come and say, no, you're not allowed to work hard. You can only work 30 hours.
0: Well, it's the cycle and we're we're entering this area of, or this epoch of yes, hard times, which you is- You can
1: vote, you understand? We are still a democracy. I think that young people should be more engaged and understand that socialism is the greatest disaster that you can impose on a society. And if you don't believe it, why don't you go and look at the conditions in Cuba, in North Korea, and in Venezuela? I just read today an article. That they want to restart the stock market in Venezuela because they realize since Chavez came to power, the GDP is down 75%. 75%. But then the socialists, refugees who come from venezuela and other latin american countries to america they go and tell the americans oh you need more socialists and the americans they believe this nonsense that well, is maybe, the hard maybe maybe
0: this time it will be different and we just have the magic touch and it will work out perfectly right <laughs> Forget i'm you. joking it won't be <laughs>
1: Okay. Dr. Doctor Faber,
0: thank you so much. Great to see you and really appreciate your insights today. Hey, are you still here? If so, please drop me a message on Twitter and I'll give you a collab, a proof of attendance protocol NFT just for you. But I wanted to quickly jump on and discuss the end here or the takeaway. So there weren't any real concrete takeaways in terms of things to hope for which is always a tough thing to end on so I think things can look dire but there's always hope it's always darkest right before the dawn humans evolve so keep your heads up keep learning investing in yourself in financial assets be kind think about the environment focus on the long term and we're all gonna make it so there you go oh and please like subscribe share review all of these things. I really, really appreciate it. Have a great day.